Hi folks, on this episode we speak with Will Bins from Rap.com. Wrapped is a cross-chain bridge designed for high performance and speed. It lets investors use their digital assets to lend, borrow and trade on all major DeFi platforms. Will talks to us about his experience in crypto over the years, how Wrapped enables inter-blockchain operability by transporting value from one protocol to another, their relationship with traditional custodians, and what's next for their platform. I hope you enjoy the show. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Will, thank you so much for joining me today, your your morning, I assume, my evening. And yeah, I really love for you to tell me a little bit about your background, you know, how you came to crypto. Yeah, the, the backstory would be amazing. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, my name is Will Bins, and I've been working, uh, I guess, in the crypto space for better part of a decade, a little over a decade now. Just uh, all my uh, kind of professional career, I've been working in technology, IT, software development. And then, uh, like I said, a long time ago, I guess now it feels like, but I guess like one year in crypto is like seven years in real human <laughs> time. So like a hundred years right ago. Now. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's like one day. But <laughs> yeah, so I've just been following Bitcoin for a long time in the news, I was like, "Oh, this is really interesting." And uh, I mean, it was just like very, very low, like I think a few bucks and stuff like that. And I had finished up a large project with a company based in the U.S., Cisco, and uh, just had a opportunity to try to figure out what I wanted to get into next. I'd worked in uh, like at the time, been working more in like product management. And I really wanted to focus more in on software development. And so I had a uh, kind of like a uh, software engineering mentor. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, what do you think? And he was like, hey, just just go pick an open source project. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, uh, I want to dabble with Bitcoin. So I uh, got on GitHub and uh, sure enough, there was this uh, repository for Bitcoin.org. And uh, there's this really awesome person that had just led a lot of effort there and he was like yeah we need all kinds of help and so i just started working on bitcoin.org i started uh at first working on translations like uh bitcoin we have this really you know technical uh thing but at the same time people that use it fall all across the spectrum um from just you know i barely know how to turn on a computer to i know how to write programs for a computer and uh so we wanted to translate that into different languages because Bitcoin was just really starting to catch fire um, in a lot of different communities. And so I did that. And then um, in that, I was just volunteering and uh, I was uh, this IRC network uh, free node at the time had like a, a channel with uh, Bitcoin developers, Bitcoin enthusiasts, and um, just hanging out in there. And I, I wasn't like... Uh, anonymous or pseudonymous i was just you know will bins in there and there's other people that were like that too and then this one person was like yeah i need some help for my company and uh it was actually one of the uh principals behind canon creative and it's like one of the largest asic producers uh and uh yeah they hired me to do some part-time work and it was you know, decent pay. And I was just like, wow, this is, uh, first off, there's just the whole uh, idea of Bitcoin that, 
you know, anybody can use this. Like, it's, nope, you, you don't need to ask anybody for permission. And it's just like, uh, so uh, in the direction of like, what I feel like the world should be like a, a place where we can all work together um, and build something and use something um, that's just not controlled by like a very select few that inherently uh, ends up like shutting out uh, large groups of people uh, in some ways. So uh, I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm just so hooked. And so I did that part-time work and then uh, just to, like really kicked off into a whole bunch of different opportunities like that uh, at the time. Uh, Roger Veer from Bitcoin Cash now, but at the time, just like a uh, huge, I was su- huge, super fan, just like a, a lot of the stuff that he said. Uh, and so he had through some different um, uh, relationships acquired Bitcoin.com. And he mm-hmm. was, uh, he's also like uh early investor in a lot of uh, different crypto startups, including Kraken. And uh, so he had invested in blockchain.info and was letting them use Bitcoin.com. And then they hired me to work on Bitcoin.com. And I remember a funny story. Uh, uh, so Brian Armstrong, uh, Fred Harrison from Coinbase, they had just started Coinbase. And they wanted to pay to advertise on Bitcoin.com. And it was like, I think uh, Roger asked me, he was like, hey, what do you think about this? They want to pay... Uh, 5000 a month, I think is what it was to like advertise for Coinbase. And just imagine like how much the space has changed now. <laughs> like <laughs> how, how like you just like probably add like three zeros you know, <laughs> onto it. But, uh, Chuck anyways, a stadium in there. Yeah, exactly. But uh, it's just, um, so anyways, that, that's kind of like in a nutshell how, how it all started. Then it's just like one thing led to another, ups and downs in the space and led over to other networks as well ethereum and and now just uh evm compatible networks and then mm. ones that stand on their own in their own right and uh yeah that's an amazing story yeah i mean a great starting point uh and i think for a lot of people i, I speak to as well and obviously because it was early like the eye opener that bitcoin was for people developers for, for for people in uh you know traditional financial services but people um who were just mucking around on the edges uh, it was just an yeah. eye right um cool so i guess what happened then like i mean we're talking to, to today about wrapped wrapped.com um yep. which you know i want to get into how did that come about um tell me a little bit about you know the the, the that origination and then we can talk about what it does and and the kind of stuff that you're, you're you know you're uh, allowing for with that service cool so um fast forward about uh, i guess like 10 11 years um, so, um, I started it wrapped, uh, about a year and a half ago and essentially like we have all these different, uh, networks and protocols like Filecoin, Zcash, uh, Solana, Polkadot, and, uh, there's a lot of different, uh, people in these communities for each one. And so like what we're seeing in the space is, uh, really true portability of assets. Bitcoin included, like where Bitcoin being the kind of like de facto number one standard of a digital asset, just an incredible number of holders, a very, very large uh, market cap. And so like as these new uh, networks and protocols spin up, let's just take like say uh, Solana, for example, um, 
you don't want to start like from zero with uh, like TVL, like total value locked uh, in your network or protocol. So one of the best ways to do that is like, how can we get Bitcoin holders on our network? Well, um, there's, you know, no native Bitcoin. Um, there's no Bitcoin blockchain uh, on these other networks. And so like, what if there's a way that you could create like a representation of this other uh, asset, Bitcoin, uh, on say like a network like Solana. Um, and so the way to do that is by wrapping. And so there's a couple of different ways that you can do it. Um, there's like decentralized models uh, where uh, you kind of have like what's called like a message relayer where you'll have like maybe a, a DAO-like structure of uh, parties that will take, say like you want to take your one Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin and use it on Solana. Um, you will send it over to a uh, deposit address and then uh, the same amount or very close to it, usually sometimes maybe like a small fees subtracted, will then become available to you on the other network, Solana, as like a wrapped Bitcoin. But what happens to that Bitcoin that you sent to that address? Does it just stay there? Is it, is it, is it meant to be visible forever? How, how does that work? Yeah, so it's like uh, <clears throat> it stays in reserve uh, while the corresponding amount is in circulation on the other uh, chain or network. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, <clears throat> and then when you wanna swap back from so like Solana to uh, Bitcoin blockchain, uh, that amount that had been minted, uh, wrapped uh, is another term for it, uh, is destroyed, it's burned from supply and that underlying amount becomes available again back to you. And so like, I was alluding first to like more of a decentralized model on wrap.com. We use a centralized model. So we work mm -hmm. with different custodians, say like uh, Anchorage, uh, their digital bank in the US, uh, also Hex Trust in Asia. And so um, we take like that one Bitcoin and let's multiply it and uh, large sums of it go into custody. Corresponding amount is then released, minted on the uh, destination network or chain. And so we're seeing this all across uh, different uh, ecosystems. So like Ethereum, uh, kind of like also being a standard in DeFi, I think uh, that everyone is trying to compete with. Uh, Rap Bitcoin has been really popular there. So we don't provide Rap Bitcoin on Ethereum. Um, we do it on several other different networks, but it's the same type of model where it's like you have all these Bitcoin holders and it's like, hey, I want to I want to connect with DeFi. I want to stake. I want to yield farm. Um, I want to put my Bitcoin to work to like try to unlock additional ways to earn off of it. Uh, and so I'm going to put it on Ethereum as wrapped Bitcoin or you can do it on any other uh, network that supports it as well. There's a bunch now. It's like Avalanche, um, even like I said, Polkadot, Solana. Cello stacks. Um, it's just that's really I feel like kind of the uh, convergence we're seeing is like liquidity becoming available on other chains through the wrapping of these uh, different assets. Yeah, that's really fascinating, and I guess important to for the listener to understand that the the liquidity only appears once, though. So that underlying Bitcoin that yeah. you wrap, it can't be like wrapped again. That would be duplicating it. So the idea here is that you've got a one to one relationship from exactly. from one chain to another, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, um, like I said, there's centralized models and decentralized models. 
we work with a centralized model. I mean, it's just the uh, uh, really the risk with wrapping and unwrapping and stuff like that is that uh, one that the uh, amount in custody is you know like uh, secure, so that uh, it's always that one to one. And then also like on the say like taking Ethereum or any other EBM compatible network uh, or like even Polkadot uh, where it supports it, um, the Mint feature, like that's a, uh, like within smart contracts uh, and EBM compatible networks, for example, that's one thing that's like often exploited where uh, if there is an issue there, it's kind of like getting access to the money machine where, okay, I want to create five Bitcoins for everyone or I'm gonna, you know, just flood it and then withdraw. And so we see that, um, like you can scroll through, some, there's kind of some interesting stories like to learn from and stuff like that for websites like Rekt News, like R-E-K-T. And you can see like where that minting function is, is often kind of one of the things that's exploited. Mm. How do you guys go about uh, plugging that hole though? Cause yeah, it's like a critical piece of infrastructure for this kind of service. Exactly. And so it's just um, for us, like there's a flight plan whenever we're doing um, wrapped assets. So one, of course, is the amount that's placed in custody. So um, like, let's say Anchorage, for example, Digital Bank, um, pretty much doing anything like them is is kind of like a minority report or something. Like that. It's just like uh, <laughs> biometrics, like voice prints and uh, it just, I mean, multiple people. So it's just like, they, that's like their real, um, uh, strong suit. Uh, so that's, that's one thing we look at is like protecting the amount in, uh, custody. And, uh, then as far as the, uh, wrapped asset itself goes, it's a matter of, uh, you know, leveraging test nets, deploying the assets, then using uh, like audit firms and stuff like that to test the functions on the uh, wrapped assets themselves, like the mint function, the burn function, making sure that you can't do this without uh, the correct privileges, the number, the correct number of signers to approve uh, that type of action, things like that. So mm-hmm. it's just a, a method um, that we walk, we walk each asset through prior to like going live. So the custodians themselves they have visibility and are the ones signing. Is that how that works? Right, exactly. So like, let's say, for example, somebody wanted to uh, withdraw $10 million uh, worth of Bitcoin from uh, custody that had been used to back wrap Bitcoin. Well, uh, you would uh, correlate that with the actual transaction. Um that shows where uh, that was burned, destroyed, uh, like burning being a technical term, uh, like where you took the same amount, basically deleted it from the uh, other network, and then that unlocks the amount from custody to ensure that it stays one-to-one. Yeah, and and so they, they see that the, the wrapped Bitcoin come back to them, uh, to a wallet that they control or burned, by the minting machine. Yeah, there's basically now uh, much more in custody than there is in supply. So like much more in reserve is what mm-hmm. we would call it than in supply. So then that amount is available for withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So to mm-hmm. reestablish that one-to-one. So it's, it's cool. Like uh, if only we had this in our uh, TradFi, 
you know, like where uh, I'm from the U.S. originally, but you know, used to be the uh, banknotes were backed by gold and stuff like that. So it's cool with like blockchain, you can actually look uh, on chain to see, oh, okay, here's the custody addresses for Rap Bitcoin. Here's the uh, supply info for Rap Bitcoin. So it's just you, you can see like add it up yourself. You don't have to, you know, take my word for being like saying some like hand wavy explanation for what gives it value you can see it right there so um it's it's cool i hope that more of that is uh you know uh, going to continue to happen where we just you know trust the chain uh to be the oracle of what's correct yeah it, it's it's kind of i guess one of the one of the big selling points for for blockchain right the transparency around the activity on the network and when you compare that then with um, issuance of liquidity, you can you can have greater confidence in in. I mean, one one of the things that we've been seeing through even through you know this kind of hyper volatility is so much more transparency as to what's going on. Maybe that's affecting the cycle a little bit because people have even more visibility as to the liquidations and whatnot. But uh, I think it's yeah. net net positive, absolutely net positive. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd just be so cool if if in our uh, uh, maybe within the next uh, few years, like we just have more and more loan products and stuff like that, where it's just like, you can use stable coins and stuff like that to create more of a uh, debt to income ratio to create like a really transparent package to, you know, like you want to go out and take a loan to buy some property or build a house or something like that. Really, whatever you want, you have the ability to do that because it's not just, you know, this, uh, like in the U S we have just a credit score, but you, you have like this whole uh, footprint, of information that uh, in DeFi should, I feel like, hopefully unlock new opportunities for you without having to go, you know, I'm going to go ask this bank now and hopefully they'll give us what we need, you know, but like actually you you go get what you need. Um, and so I think that, that's hopefully like the uh, promise of the direction we're going in. That's interesting, yeah, from the point of view of the end user. And then and then the kind of flip side of that is from the point of view of the, the banks themselves having more visibility over the the stack of assets that their 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 systems you know rest upon the the issuance and the rehabilitation can at very least be more transparent. I guess one thing that's really cool, yeah. but also a kind of question is you know that the in these instances where you're porting you know you're kind of sending Bitcoin into a portal, uh, and, and there are some parallels here. Really, even though they're quite different to, to stable coins, um, you still need to kind of trust this underlying custodian and and like you know i know that mm -hmm. you guys have got i've cho chosen that road and i think there's, a, there's absolute validity to that uh, I, I, you know i think there's multiple ways you can do this but um what are the kind of things people can do to um get comfortable with the underlying custodian do they publish their reserves like how how crypto how how, how much of the crypto philosophy seeps through you know uh, anchorage say or, or, or some or some of the other custodians you guys work with yeah, well, it's just like, um, I think that um, essentially when we look at these assets, let's take Bitcoin as one example, um, there's just over time become more and more like large institutional holders of uh, these uh, assets. And so again, taking Bitcoin, like they're not going to be able to take their Bitcoin inventories and just go like put it in, uh, you know, the software teams. Uh, hardware wallet that they set up on, on the 14th floor of their, you know, gigantic skyscraper, 
um, they're going to have to go to like a really heavily regulated uh, entity because they themselves are also like heavily regulated, like the things that they're doing um, come under scrutiny. So um, they look for, say, like an anchorage, uh, a hex trust where these types of entities are regularly interfacing with like uh, the parties in the in the uh, agencies and whatnot to ensure that like the uh, checks and balances are in there, and they're also um, themselves becoming not only like crypto banks but fiat based banks. So uh, being able to navigate that kind of landscape opens up the door for more liquidity to come into these ecosystems from these institutions um, to help say like an asset like Bitcoin grow and DeFi itself grow because um, without that, uh, you know, sizable institutional liquidity, it doesn't allow the uh, assets themselves to root to be able to build like, for example, like structured loan products and stuff like that. Uh, these, these are the types of institutions that really excel at doing that in TradFi. And so by us creating the guardrails um, from like protocol perspectives and stuff like that of what's possible, um, that gives them opportunities to then connect their businesses to this as a new line of business. And I think that that's the direction that we're going in. Um, but just, I think in a nutshell, it's just really hard to make a case for, you know, a multi-billion dollar uh, financial institution. Like, yeah, just send your uh, uh, Bitcoin to this address uh, on this website, there's no phone number or address, uh, <laughs> and, and the people that run it all just, you know, like have nicknames and aliases. And so it's just like, that's always still going to be in the space. And, and I think that that's like one of the, that's like the bleeding edge of innovation is these people that like, Hey, I'm going to build something and it's, it's a risk doing this because it's like, we don't, we don't know like how it's regulated and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time. On the other end of the spectrum, it's it's there still needs to be opportunities to connect like this old old world of finance to the new one that we're building. So that's where you know we rely, say, like on a an anchorage or a hex trust. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, Kraken obviously has a similar perspective on this, and one of the things that we've been doing is um, you know providing proof of reserves to our to our clients who are individuals yeah. they're not they're not necessarily big instos like that some sometimes we do you know work with big businesses obviously but yeah that that's a kind of methodology that i think speaks kind of true to the crypto philosophy but but is a kind of yeah slightly, slightly more tradfi take on it yeah cool man well i guess you know we'd be interested to know you know if there's any any plans for the future of wrapped or even your your personal career i'd love to see what you know your your take on what's over the horizon for, for some of these projects that you're working with yeah i think uh it's just been a really wild um i guess what was already in the middle of good close to the end of june it's really since uh I guess beginning of april we've seen a bunch of these assets drop like 50 60 70 percent in value um and so it's just been like really wild this isn't uh uh, the first time anything like this has happened, people that have been in the space for a long time, this is just such a uh, a, uh, a a common theme, like the volatility of our space. Um, I think the lows are what leads us to uh, be persevering as ever to continue to build. Um, but like with these assets, say like Bitcoin, 
Um, I, f- I feel like the portability of being able to connect that to another network or chain, um, unlocking yield through like staking and stuff like that, providing liquidity. That's going to be like where you're going to see a, uh, at least my personal thesis is that that's going to be where you see a mad rush of uh, institutions and also just uh, people in general as the markets start to turn around. Uh, because a lot of these different dApps uh, in the DeFi space are just really heavily going to be reliant on uh, kind of like the old money. When I say the old money, I'm talking about like Ether holders, Bitcoin holders, um, <laughs> and then, you know, stable holders. I've just been in the space for a long time that really understand how these mechanisms operate to try to connect themselves to uh, those types of users. So that's like where we're positioning ourselves on the uh, rap team. And that's kind of in the direction we wanted to go on even back at the beginning of the year when we were like sitting at all time highs. So it's just, we're focusing on integrations and just trying to make it as easy as possible, not only for uh, people that want to take the decentralized path, like institutions, other entities like that, but also setting up uh, decentralized rails too, where just like individuals are like, hey, you know what, it's not important for me to work with, you know, this custodian. I want more of a trusted uh, decentralized model. So like we're, we're setting up that too. So it's, we're just focusing on building engineering in that context. Amazing. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, onwards and upwards when it comes to progressing <laughs> interoperability because, yeah, I'm, I'm of a similar view that, that there will be, you know, that that's not going away. That requirement is not going away and people will keep will keep experimenting and, and, and portability is going to be critical. So, look, Will, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure chatting. Yeah, thanks, Jonathan. Appreciate you having me. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice. And we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been the Crypto Frontier. Crypto Frontier.